When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyles here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another episode of Pats Daily, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. More from them later. But uh, seems to be a pattern going around the Patriots right now. They're kind of starting to lean towards the East Coast Packers as Elliot Wolf, the director of scouting, has made a third hire with someone who has familiarity with, familiarity with during his time with the Packers. So to help me out, get some perspective on Wolf as maybe the de facto GM, some of the other hires the Patriots have made on their staff from that Packers regime. I got my buddy, host of Locked On Packers, Peter Bukowski, coming at us live from Radio Row. Peter, how are you doing, and what's it like down there right now? We're here. Um, it's crazy. It's wild. Um, Tuesday is not even the day that it really pops off, and it is already fully popping off. So uh, normally Thursday is like the big day. Um, by Friday, maybe one or two guests, big guests left, but we're it's already all the media is here. And it, it is a, it is a party. It's Las Vegas. Living you know, it's going to be a party. I'm living vicariously through you. I told you that sounds like so much fun. I am very jealous, but I know you're busy. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So we're going to try to keep this tight, but get some good information from you. So start it off with Elliot Wolf. Now, like I said, director of scouting for the Patriots, but really he's been more of their general manager with Matt Groh, who's the director of player personnel, kind of seeming like he's doing more on the scouting side. So, Elliot Wolf obviously cut his teeth in Green Bay, son of Hall of Famer Ron Wolf. Give me some yeah. background on what you think Wolf's resume looks like if he is maybe, as it's been reported, one of the favorites to take over as the actual general manager and like really how qualified do you think he is? I mean, I don't know how you get any more qualified than, than learning at the literal knee of one of the greatest to ever do it. Ron Wolf mm -hmm. is a legend for a reason. Um, this is, and he is not uh, strictly a Nepo hire. Um, I'm not going to say that there's none of that. Obviously, um, I'm sure it helped that his dad is who he was. But at the same time, um, he had to start at the bottom just like everyone else. And Ron Wolf was not in that organization anymore when he really started to make his rise. He learned from Ted Thompson at the same time as John Dorsey and, and John Schneider and Reggie McKenzie and guys just left and right who've come off of this front office to go out and lead front offices of their own. So varying degrees of success, right? But um, John Snyder has a Super Bowl. Ted Thompson has a Super Bowl. This is the the Ron Wolf tree at work. And Brian Gutekinds, he got the job over Elliot Wolf. Um, they were both up for this, and and Brian Gutekinds just had more leverage in the moment. He was going to interview down in Houston, and the Packers said, "Don't do that. Stay here. We will make you the GM." Um, they they sort of um, put Ted Thompson. He was going through some health issues at the time, and they said, "Ted." We're going to put you into this other role. I think he was more like a specialty scout for them, really. And then ultimately, Brian Gutekinds takes over. And Elliot Wolf leaves, goes to Cleveland with John Dorsey, and, and winds up in New England. But he has worked almost exclusively for extremely competent organizations, um, extremely competent front offices. 
um, frankly, the, the least competent front office that he's worked for in the last 15 years is Bill Belichick's, like the last couple of years of the Bill Belichick um, regime. And, and I think if your management there, if your ownership in New England, you're going, hey, wouldn't it be great to have someone whose job this is to do this specifically and then let the coach be the coach? All due respect. Like, that's not shade of Bill Belichick, really. I think Bill Belichick's the greatest coach ever. So please don't get mad at me. Don't be in my mentions. It's just two jobs to be the GM and to be the coach is two jobs. And I think we're seeing this, like how, how can it be any clearer than what we saw in green Bay? If Matt LaFleur had been the GM Taylor, there's no way they take Jordan love, but Brian Gutekinds was the GM. And so they did, and they set themselves up for this moment. And you just, you, you need someone else because the, the job they're often at odds with one another. The GM's goals and the coach's goals. The coach's goals are to win games right now, today. And the GM's goals are to make sure that you can win games now, but also next year and the year after that and the year after that. And those do not always align in, in the ways that you need them to be. And especially with the Packers, where their philosophy, and I want you to get a little bit more into this, is building through the draft. And that's something yeah. that Robert Kraft has touched on for a few years now. You alluded to Bill Belichick, we all have all the respect in the world, but Bill Belichick, both as a coach and specifically and especially as a GM, did have his warts, especially towards the end of his tenure. And it was pretty obvious by the fact that Robert Kraft retained as many people as he really could while letting Belichick walk, that he had faith in the guys they had on board and wanted to give them a chance without being under Bill's thumb. So tell us more about what we can expect philosophically from if Elliot Wolf is taking over the draft process, because this is a team that has not drafted well, hasn't really hit on the offensive side of the ball, especially at the skill positions, whereas the Packers have kind of done the exact opposite. <laughs> so the the mantra can can change over time, but there are things that they believe firmly in. Size at corner is one of those. They're they're just not going to draft small corners unless they are outlier, outlier, outlier athletes. Um, and and temperament guys like Jair Alexander, a little small, but we're seeing in the NFL why they took a gamble on a smaller corner in that spot. Think back to, you know, the Randy Moss draft. We, uh, that is how we call it in, in Green Bay when they draft Antoine Edwards, Mike McKenzie, and Joe Thomas, all guys over six feet because they had to deal with Randy Moss. That was not just a Randy Moss thing. That goes back to Al Davis. They have thresholds that they care about at receiver. They like guys who are at least six feet tall, they want you to be 195 pounds. Um, the three cone still matters in New England. Luckily for, for you people who cover the Patriots, who Bill Belichick always cared about the three cone at every position. That will continue to be a thing. And then offensive line, they love to build through the, the lines. Um, that's why you're already seeing the whispers of like, don't, don't think they'll just like automatically draft Marvin Harrison Jr. at four if he's there. Joe Alt is, is just as much in play, if not more than someone like Marvin Harrison. And... Think of what are, the, what are the Packers famous for not doing in the first round? Drafting receivers. They just yeah, don't true. do it. And they didn't do it under Ron Wolf. And they don't they didn't do it under Ted Thompson. And they're not doing it under Brian Gutekinds. I would expect Elliott Wolf to fall in that similar sort of group. So they have types that they like. And if you look back, no one has a better track record of getting receivers on day two than the Packers. No one has a better track record of getting offensive linemen on day three than the Packers. They just did it again with Zach Tom, who's like a borderline all pro caliber right tackle right now who they got in the fifth and the fourth round. And it's because they prioritize athleticism and size speed athletes. So like the Duran Harmons of the world, like I, I just like that kind of stuff. I don't think you're going to see those kinds of misses. It's not like they're going to hit every time, 
but they're going to miss for other reasons in the draft than athleticism. And last thing I'll say on this, Taylor, Brian Gutekind's biggest misses as GM have been when they have gone outside of their usual preferences at those skill, skill positions. Amari Rogers, great example. Small, slow, can't play in the NFL. And so you look at when they've gone out and I've done the study on this. When you look at top 100 picks that have been in their preferences and outside, they hit at a much lower rate when they go outside of them. I've been screaming, Brian Gutekinds, trust your models. Stick with them because they work. Well, this draft class does seem like it would fit very well with that strategy. Obviously, early on is when you get the really good like tackles. You can think maybe you're going to start at some time year one for you. Then it feels like kind of the third round, second, maybe even fourth is when you can start getting some really good value at the receiver spot. So speaking of the offensive side of the ball, Alex Van Pelt is the Patriots' new offensive coordinator. Really kind of obviously had a long career as a player in the NFL, has kind of bounced around certain programs, but worked with Aaron Rodgers with the Packers for a while. Also worked with Brian, uh, I'm sorry, Ben McAdoo. A lot of overlap there. What can you tell us from your perspective about Van Pelt, who he is as a person, who he is as a coach? And is this one of those guys, I feel like people just think he kind of wrote Aaron Rodgers' coattails. Do you think that's true, or is he really someone who had more of an impact and kind of an influence on that process than he gets credit for? It's so hard to know. That's, yeah. That is what I can say about Ben McAdoo and Alex Van Pelt, both of those guys, because Aaron Rodgers loved them, loved them. But he loved Nathaniel Hackett too. And it looks like Nathaniel Hackett just can't coach. So what are the things that Aaron Rodgers valued in uh, a quarterback's coach? Is it just someone that's going to tell him how awesome he is? I don't look, I don't know. But I... Like Luke Getze is the same kind of way. He was a receivers coach. Devontae Adams loved Luke Getze. And it's rare that a quarterback is going to praise a receivers coach. But that's what happened. And then Luke Getze comes in. And we've seen Luke Getze since then. It's not been great in Chicago. And he gets fired. And now he's, you know, he's heading to Las Vegas. But it's it's hard to know how much of an impact he truly had. I think when you go back and you look at the early stages of Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy is much more um credited with what's what what happened there the development that we saw um the the parts of of Aaron Rodgers career where Van Pelt was with him that's when he started to go is he kind of is Aaron Rodgers kind of washed like what are we looking at here this is weird that's when the analytics people started to go ah this is not the same as it has been and then famously this was when it started when when Rodgers started to speak out about what the team was doing it was when they let Alex Van Pelt walk and basically didn't tell him until after the fact. And that, I think that, frankly, ended up being a good decision for them. And so, like I said, it's hard to know. I think with the head coaches, with guys like Matt LaFleur, it's easier to point to the, the play calling and the design and the intent of the offense and say, okay, we can separate some of this stuff. It's harder with the quarterbacks coaches, especially when the track record we have outside of these guys, it's really not very good. And how closely have you followed Van Pelt's career since he left? Like, obviously, I know you're not on the Browns beat or anything like that, but is there anything that you've noticed since that time where it's like, okay, some of this maybe has carried over and bled in over to Cleveland or maybe vice versa, any kind of big impression since he left Green Bay? I think, I think what you like about the Browns situation is Kevin Stefanski is a, another really, really smart coach, and he is someone who is more on the leading edge of what offense looks like in the modern NFL. It's not Mike McCarthy, Nathaniel Hackett stuff. And so I think just having that experience is useful. 
Like, there's a reason Bill Belichick wanted to run more Shanahan tree stuff. It's good offense. And so I think having someone who has that background and diverse backgrounds, and this is, I'm, I am this way with every coach. I want to coach, I want you to have been in multiple schemes if possible. I want you to have experienced multiple kinds of coaches um, and, and see what you like and didn't like about all of those things. I want, I want like, look at Ben Johnson in, in Detroit. He doesn't have a tree. He's the, he's the greatest hits offense. We do this, we do this, we do this because we're really good at it. And because these are really good concepts. And then I'm going to throw in all these crazy things because we can, mm -hmm. I like the diversity of scheme there. And so from that standpoint, I think that's appealing. Um, do I think that that's made him a better coach? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, how much that's going to translate, but just from the outside, I think, I think frankly, like it's so hard to judge coaches unless they're play callers and unless we know they have a big hand in designing the offense. Like I, I just don't have any evidence that those guys had a big hand in what those offenses look like. Now, Ben McAdoo, that's a different thing. He was an offensive coordinator in New York. He was a head coach mm -hmm. in New York, a job that pretty clearly he was not suited to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that the offense, when they had it with him, wasn't good. And and they thought enough of him in New York, a, a stable organization that doesn't just move on from coaches willy-nilly. They moved on from, um, you know, a, a respected coach because they felt like they needed to keep Ben McAdoo in part because he got the best out of Odell Beckham. And part of that is Odell Beckham stayed healthy and Odell Beckham's a really good player. I don't know if you know, like, if like, it's, it helps to have really good players on the field. Um but <laughs> I think I think we have much more evidence about what he is as a coach than someone like Van Pelt. Um, and so then you just have to trust your your resources, trust who you're talking to, um, who you know that's worked with them. There's a reason we have this buddy boy league, and it's because you just have more information on guys that you have experience with or guys who have experience with the people that you know, because it's so hard to know from the outside who gets credit for what. To put a bow on the Van Pelt storyline, I completely agree. I think a lot of the situation with this Patriots coaching staff is you just don't know until you know. It's not going to be until we get out there for training camp with preseason games that we even have an idea of what the offense is going to look like, much less how Van Pelt actually coordinated when he is the guy in charge and doesn't have like a Kevin Stefanski over him. Although in reading up and what he says, a lot of it is diversity, multiplicity, being able to, you know, adjust to what you have on offense and things that you like to hear from an offense coordinator, not someone who's stagnant in their ways, but somebody who appreciates being multiple. I do want to get more of your thoughts on Ben McAdoo before I do. Quick word from our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets. Which players will score a touchdown? How many points will be scored? And so much more. New customers join today and you get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1 800 
GAM1234. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So back to Ben McAdoo. Now, as you mentioned, didn't have a great run of success as the Giants head coach. Tough situation still. And one thing I like to point out is that yeah, somebody could flame out as a head coach. They can even sometimes flame out as a coordinator. It doesn't mean they're bad coaches. Like being a position coach, being a coordinator, and being a head coach are very different roles, more akin to Absolutely. something in business where you move up the ladder. So Ben McAdoo was officially hired today, or it was reported at least that he's been hired to be a senior offensive assistant. Tell me, should fans feel happy about this? I know there's been a lot of talk about his ability to evaluate talent and quarterbacks. Which should they be kind of wary of? Again, considering he's not going to be probably calling shots. It's more of an advisory role where he's going to work with a guy like Van Pelt and guys like Elliot Wolf, who he has experience with. I think the continuity there is the most important piece. You need you need those kinds of guys to be aligned on what you want. Who do you want to be? And when you have a defensive coach, I think the more proven experienced coaches on the offensive side that you can add, the better. Even if they're not like offensive geniuses. Like I I, I am in favor of taking big swings, especially on offense, like shoot the moon on these kinds of things. That's why like Dan Quinn is such an uninspired hire in Washington. Like, come on, you have a top two pick. You've got a bunch of cap space. Go for it. Like take a chance. Hire Zach Taylor, like, you know, or the other Taylor. What's the other Taylor's name? Uh, Kyle's. I'm just messing with you. I honestly, I, <laughs> I'm i pulling a blank too. That was me trying to buy time. I can't No, no, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't um, matter. The point yeah, is, yeah. try try it. Try something. Um, and, and you know, like hire, hire Mike LaFleur. Let's just like try something. Let's go see. Um, but I think that there is value in when you have Gerard Mayo, who's going to set the tone, who's going to um, be, the, be that culture setter for you every single day. Um, it's nice. And, and as a young coach, right? I mean, he's my age. So you have, you, you, it's good to have experienced on the other side of the ball. How valuable was it? Even though ultimately they had to, to part ways for Sean McVay, Sean McVay will tell you to this day, he does not win a Super Bowl without Wade Phillips. Like just having that, it teaches you so much about coaching, about practice, about all the, like you've just never done, like you can learn at the feet of the master, but until you do it, you don't know what you don't know, and it's really nice. It's like there's a reason Josh McDaniels kept kept coming back to Bill Belichick because it's really nice for Bill Belichick to have that shorthand with Josh McDaniels or Bill O'Brien or whoever for, you know, as uninspiring as those hires often were or felt at the time. So, you know, I, I think that there is certainly value in having that sort of continuity and, and front, of, front office and coaching continuity. Like that was a big problem in Green Bay to have Ted Thompson want to be something young, constantly turning over the roster. And you had Dom Capers who wanted to play a defense that relied so much on institutional knowledge, so much on being able to bluff and recover and understand, you know, that, that, that um, fire zone scheme, everyone had to be on a string or you were effed. Like you're just, it was, it was going to be a problem and you, you needed veteran guys and they were consistently the youngest team in the league. 
the offense that Mike McCarthy wanted to run. You needed guys who could win consistently every time. They had the youngest roster consistently. So to have that um, that that confluence of purpose is really important. If you're not going to have a coach and GM be the same person, which you shouldn't, then it's really good to have two two groups that are on the same page about how they want to build this thing. And I, again, this is kind of hard because when guys are doing things behind the scenes, it's hard to know what their responsibilities were. But was there anything notable that you thought that McAdoo did bring to Green Bay staff while he was there? Or was it one of those things where, again, Aaron Rodgers is in charge. It's kind of hard to establish yourself in some situations. It is hard, but um, I will say when Ben McAdoo was a position coach, everyone, everyone, everyone told you this guy's a future head coach. He was sharp. He was incisive. Um, he, he understood how to communicate with his players. And I think a lot of the shortcomings that he ultimately had really just boiled down to a lot of the things like we've seen this all the time. Brandon Staley is a great example. The big job is too big, but if you let them just like coach ball, great. Like you're, you probably have a fair, a fair bit of audience that knows Jeff Halfley from his days at Boston college. He said being a head coach, he missed coaching DBs. Like some of these guys are just, they all they want to do is coach ball. They don't want to deal with the other stuff. And it's the other stuff that gets them in trouble. And I think Ben McAdoo ends up being that, that same thing. There's a lot of drama in New York. You get sucked into the power dynamics and the media. And he was not good with the media. Okay. Senior assistant, whatever. Like you get to just coach ball. And sometimes that's the best thing for those, um, for those coaches to be doing. And one thing, just to kind of backtrack on Van Pelt, I keep hearing, you know, I saw quotes that like he's a culture changer and that he was somebody that Stefanski actually did want to keep on board. People were saying he was a glue guy for that offense. Was in terms of the personality, what were you able to kind of learn about him during his time in Green Bay? And what do you, or how do you think that's going to affect this Patriots offense that was extremely toxic, had a disjointed staff, and it was a lot of just kind of dunk that you wanted to get out of there and be able to start fresh, whether that means going in a new direction at quarterback, whether it means trying again with the guys they have on the roster. What does Van Pelt bring in terms of energy and what kind of consistency can he model? Um, one, one consistent theme of Mike McCarthy coaches is details and you had to be on your details because the offense was not doing anything tricky. So if the, if you had to run the slant at six and a half yards, you better run the slant at six and a half yards because Aaron Rodgers needs it to be there. And, and the coaches knew that they understood that. And I think that was one of the reasons Rodgers clicked with those guys because he was very persnickety. This has to be done exactly this way. There's a reason we do it this way. And so please just do it this way. And so the details part of it, you think about a New England team. I'm just, I'm, this is just me from the outside. The last couple of years, they have not been on their details. Like that, the, the, the ending against the Raiders, I, I still can't understand how that happened. And that is just so un-Belichickian for a game to finish that way because they were the most on the details team maybe ever. Like in peak Belichick years, you would hear them say, we practiced this scenario. We knew, like they were prepared for every eventuality, every week, every year from time immemorial. And they just, I think they got away from that. Whether it's complacency, I don't know. But I think that's the thing that you're going to get from these Mike McCarthy tree guys, because that was an Aaron Rodgers thing. If you were not on your details, you couldn't, you couldn't be there.
stuff like that makes it easy to see why uh, Van Pelt came in the building and they never let him out. <laughs> they made sure he signed a contract because it's likely that he is going to be like the head coach of the offense. So someone who is detail oriented, especially as a former player, I know he, he's really big on footwork and having footwork done his way where he doesn't like outside influence. He's like, no, I've had success with this. I know what I'm doing. Part of the kind of, not the Bill Walsh tree, but um, Hackett, Paul Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett's father was someone who worked for Bill Walsh and was very big on footwork, which Bill Walsh innovated the modern kind of drop back game where it's tied to receivers yeah. routes, all that football nerdy stuff. But if you listen to what Van Pelt has said in his introductory press conferences and time speaking to the media, those details are very, very big. And he does seem like somebody who's going to be on top of that. I'm going to get you out of here, buddy. One more thing I want to talk about. Jerry Montgomery becomes the Patriots defensive line coach. Let yeah. me know what they're getting from him. Seems like right now he is the oldest guy that we know of right now on the defensive staff. So somebody who brings experience, a little bit of veteran leadership, what's the rundown? One of the things that we've talked about over on The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to, um, is with coaches surviving multiple tenures. Jerry Montgomery has been with the Packers through three defensive coordinators. Maybe, am I missing one? I think maybe, maybe even four defensive coordinators and two head coaches. So it like when you have that sort of consistency where a new guy comes in and goes, yeah, I know you're a good coach. I, I think that speaks to the, the quality of their, of their technique and, and the, the coaching ability that they bring to bear. Kenny Clark was a huge Jerry Montgomery fan, huge, huge, Tweeted about by him. far the best player mm -hmm. on the Packers defensive line. And so he's been there. I think the whole time Kenny Clark has been there was extremely formative in his development um, was not always thrilled with what was going on with the defense over the last couple of years. And, and he was not alone. A lot of people did not like what Joe Barry was doing with that defense. Um, Joe Barry lands in the division at the linebackers coach uh, in Miami now. And the, the Packers got um, Anthony Campanelli, who was their linebackers coach, who was a highly sought after coach as well. The Eagles wanted to bring him with them um, with Vic Fangio. So um, that's probably a little bit of a boon for the Patriots because Joe Barry is going to be the run defense coordinator, and that's that's bad. I think they were the second worst defense in the league by EPA per rush in the Joe Barry era in Green Bay. So um, that's not great. That's not great. That's not what you want. Um, I, I have to double check those numbers, but it's certainly bottom five. Uh, I, I don't understand that hire for like 16 different reasons, especially because Mike McDaniel knows Matt LaFleur well enough to know that like this guy can't coach. But um, <laughs> so I think there was I think I think there was some friction there. I think he was ready to, to for something else, something new, and he was passed over twice. When I mean, the Packers fired Mike Pettin, Jerry Montgomery interviewed for that job. Joe Barry got it, and Jerry Montgomery did not like the stuff that Joe Barry was doing. So when that happens, and they ended up having to fire Joe Barry, I think he said, "You know what? It's time." The Packers said, "You're right. Why don't you go look for other opportunities? We're going to backfill." What happened, Taylor was, and we reported this over at the Leap. Um, Jason Rebervich, who was the outside linebackers coach, got promoted into Jerry Montgomery's role, but they didn't fire Jerry Montgomery. They did the thing where they said, you can look for other jobs, but we filled your position. Oh, that's messy. So for a guy who's, who's a little stayed messy, around that long for you. That is a that is a thing um that happens in the corporate world. I know people who that, that's happened to. They say, Hey, you have you have six months to find a job, start looking. Um, and I think that was the situation here. But yeah, they they promoted him. They promoted Rebervich, um, and let let Montgomery leave with dignity. Let him decide to leave. Essentially, get go get the Patriots job, and they they never have to say 
you know, you wanted to leave or we fired you or whatever the situation was, but a highly respected defensive line coach. Um, but someone who, you know, it's hard to point to a defensive lineman that really vastly improved in green Bay under his tutelage, other than Kenny Clark. Now, part of that is talent. They didn't invest a lot there. Um, and this was the year where we saw it. Devontae Wyatt broke out. Carl Brooks broke out, but he's a rookie. Like they just drafted him. So how much does Jerry Montgomery get credit for that? That's hard to say. Kobe Wooden, same thing. So, um, what we know from the outside is that in the league, around the league, the players loved him. Um, he's a respected coach. And and this of the of the guys from the Packers organization that the Patriots have, um, I think it's like Elliot Wolf one, Montgomery two, and then the other guys in a separate category. Wow. In terms okay. of in terms of how I would rank their quality. Right. Haven't heard that, but that is very interesting. A really big addition for the Patriots. Demarcus Covington becomes the defensive coordinator and was replaced by a well-respected, beloved coach. We love to see it. Peter, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I appreciate it. Go enjoy Vegas. But first, let the people know where they can find you and what you got coming down the pipeline. And plug the leap. Uh, the leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Um, the leap, it's the leap.football. Very easy URL to find. Um, follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. TikTok, Instagram, whatever, if you want. Um, and then um, Locked on Packers is the Packers show, Locked on Sports Today, all sports. It is like the first 15 minutes of Sports Center, all the big stories of the day um, in under 20 minutes. So that's wherever you get podcasts, YouTube, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Peter creates fantastic content. Make sure to take it all in. And for now, I'm going to sign off, say take care of yourselves, take care of each other.